If any of you know me well, you know that I kind of get a little uptight about the details. And so I had my whole binder full of things that I needed to do and my little checklist for my wedding. And I was really excited to get married. However, I was overwhelmed and stressed by the preparations. And there were times when I was like, oh my goodness, is this actually going to come together? I remember the, the day before my wedding, I felt so um, torn between two worlds because people had already flown in. All of Micah's family had flown into to Abilene for the wedding, but I was still finishing um, school. I had one last final on Friday before our wedding. And I remember waking up that morning realizing I had slept through my alarm and it was halfway through that class already. I also didn't have a car that day. I think it was in the shop or something, or my dad had it. And so I had to walk to school and it was about a 15-minute walk. And I remember just getting out of bed, yelling and screaming, and my mom was the only one in the house, and so I yelled and screamed at my mom, and my mom, this is the only time I remember screaming at my mom as an adult, and, uh, and I remember she was, she was like smiling as she was, <laughs> try, as she was observing the temper tantrum that I was in, and she was like, it's going to be okay go take your final. And so I walked to school, and I was able to finish the final in time, no problem. And then I just remember how, how, how just the adrenaline and how stressed and then how relieved I was, that whirlwind of emotion. And then the next day, I went to bed, and then the next day I woke up, and it was my wedding day. And I remember how different that morning was. It was like something came over me, and I'm so grateful because it was peace. And I was so happy, and I was able to enjoy my my wedding day without worrying about the details and the things that did or didn't get done. And so in the end, all the preparations were worth it. They were totally worth it. So today we, we think about Advent. And Advent is the season of waiting, the season of preparing, the season of longing for Jesus and hoping and anticipating the coming of Jesus. Advent actually means coming in Latin. And I want to think of Advent um, in three different ways. Um, think of them as layers, per se. And Micah already mentioned two of them, um, past, present, and future. So the past that Jesus has come. He has been born, and this is a demonstration of God's great love for us. The future that Jesus will come again, the second coming, and he will reign, and there will be no more pain and no more sorrow, and all will be healed. And then the present, right now, the continual coming of Jesus into our lives through the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the presence of God working in us and through us to transform us into the image of Jesus that we might live on mission for him. So today's Advent theme is joy. So these are the two primary questions I want to ask us today. One, how can we actively engage in waiting and preparing for Jesus? How do we actively engage in this process of waiting and preparing for Jesus? And where is joy found in it all? 
Where is joy found? And so I want to look primarily at the two, uh, two characters, um, John the Baptist and Mary. Because I think these two characters in their stories, they have something to teach us about Advent. Um, John the Baptist is known for his bold preaching and his ascetic appearance. He's a bit um, eccentric. Um, I, I believe the term crazy has been used to describe him uh, before. But he has some pretty powerful things, I think, um, to teach us, certainly to teach me. So let's go to Matthew 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And then we're going to jump to Mark 1, verse 7 and 8. It says, this was his message, John the Baptist's message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So one of the things that really stands out to me when I look at the story of John the Baptist was is his simplicity. He lives in the wilderness. He came from a normal a Levitical home, and, and he chose to go out to the wilderness. He had very little with him. He dressed in camel skin. He ate whatever he could find in the wilderness, which was locust and honey. And, and I asked myself, why would John do this? And I think John the Baptist simplified his life. He simplified his life to the extreme, in fact, so that he could focus on his purpose. He chose to remove all the unnecessary distractions, and he chose to focus on God and preaching. And it's this simplicity that strikes me, especially in the season that we're in right now. It gives me new eyes for this season because it's not just the season of Advent. It's also the retail season of Christmas. And for the last six months, uh, stores have been decorated and holiday shopping is in full swing. And don't get me wrong, I've done my partaking of that. I've, I've, I'm halfway through my list, you know, of buying gifts. But simplicity isn't the word I would typically use to describe this Christmas season. And it makes me want to pause and ask myself, what is it that will bring me joy in this season? What is it that brings me joy? I have experienced and I know from myself that frantic busyness and overfilled schedules bring me exhaustion. They don't bring me joy. And so I think we have something to learn from John the Baptist 
here. Um, yesterday, I, I'm, I finished my books that I've been reading, and so I started a new book. Um, it's by one of my favorite authors, Ruth Haley Barton, and so I picked up her latest book. It's called The Invitation, An Invitation to Retreat. And um, in her introduction, she's described um, the need for space. And I just want to read you a paragraph because when I read it, I, I reread it like four times, our need for space. She says, but many of us are longing for more. And we have a sense that there is more if we could create more space for quiet to give attention to God at the center of our beings. We sense that a kind of fullness and satisfaction is discovered more in the silence than in the words, more in solitude than in socializing, more in spaciousness than in busyness. Time comes, Emily Griffin goes on to say, when we yearn for more of God than our schedules will allow. We are tired, we are crushed, we are crowded by friends and acquaintances, commitments and obligations. The life of grace is abounding, but we're too busy for it. Even good obligation, obligations begin to hem us in. And I read that and I was like, wow, even the good stuff begins to be too much if we let it all overtake our schedule. The need for space, the need for simplicity. And we see an example of that in John the Baptist. John the Baptist um, preaches while he's out there. And his message is a very bold message. He, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is, uh, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so what is this word repent or repentance? It's not one that we use all that often. A simple definition would be to turn away from sin and turn towards God. Repentance is this process of self-reflection, of, of knowing ourselves, of our motivations and, and our thoughts, and naming our sin, naming the things that we have done or not done that go against God of confessing our brokenness to God and accepting his forgiveness and love. And then my favorite part of repentance is releasing our guilt and our shame and living out of the love of Jesus. And so, so John preaches repentance. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven and near. And then he says, the Messiah is coming. There is one coming that is incredibly powerful and amazing. And John is helping people to prepare for the Messiah. And so I'm struck in the story of John the Baptist how the preparation isn't always very glamorous. Preparing for something isn't very glamorous. I probably could have prepared better for my wedding with a little less stress, but still, it's not nearly as fun and glamorous as the day itself. I know um, one of my favorite things to do is, is to host, is to have friends and family over in my house. I love making connections. I love hearing people's stories. I love talking to people. And, and yet, when I, I don't really like preparing for company. I don't really like cleaning the bathroom like before people come. I don't love picking up all the clutter. 
and putting it away. Uh, my nemesis is the pile of mail on the counter next to the fridge. If you've been to my house, half of the time you come over, there's papers on that counter. Like, I don't like that stuff. And yet, when I open up my door and, and friends and family come in to hang out, it brings me great joy. Those preparations are, are beautiful because they result in joy. And so in this season of Advent, how can we actively engage in waiting and preparing for Jesus? I think the story of John the Baptist invites us to two things. One, to simplify. To simplify our life and intentionally make space for God to focus on him and what he has called us to do. And two, to repent. To intentionally turn to God. And, and though the preparation process may not be super glamorous, it may not feel super fun, it allows us to experience great joy, God's joy, the joy of being forgiven, the joy of being made holy, of the joy of being deeply loved and cherished by our Creator. So simplicity and repentance um, are two things that I see in the story of John the Baptist. And I wanted to look at one other character today. I wanted to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like for Mary as a young teen um, in a time when uh, families got together and arranged marriages? Everything was going smoothly. She was engaged to Joseph. Um, the families had come together, and all of a sudden, this angel appears to her and, say, and says, you're going to be with child. And, and rightly so, she's a, a bit confused. She's like, I know how this happens. This is not how it normally happens. And, um, and she asks, how can this be? And the angel responds, it's through the Holy Spirit. And, and I, can, I can only imagine how startling this message would have been for her. And yet she responds beautifully. She says in Luke 1, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answers. May your word to me be fulfilled. And in the craziness of that announcement, she's like, okay, I am your servant. I will do this. Imagine um, after the angel goes away, and I don't know what he, what he looked like, you know, but I, I expect in my mind when I imagine it, something glorious, something beautiful. Angel goes away. Everything goes back to normal. And now she has to go have a conversation with her parents. And can you imagine their anger, their disbelief, their frustration with her? Like, what are you, what do you mean you're pregnant? And I imagine the, the anger and the frustration from Joseph's family when they find out. And then the whirlwind of emotions of Mary. Luke tells us that she goes and she stays with a relative named Elizabeth. And I don't know if she chose to go or if she was sent away. I have no idea. I'm, I'm I've always been curious about that. Like, how did that come about? But she goes and she spends about three months with her relative, um, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth um, herself was miraculously pregnant um, with John the Baptist at that time. And when Mary walked in to Elizabeth's house, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped 
for joy, and the Holy Spirit told Elizabeth that Mary was carrying the Messiah. And I think this is a defining moment for Mary. Finally, one person who believes her, who knows she's telling the truth, how is she going to respond? How is she going to respond in the midst of this super unconventional and extremely inconvenient pregnancy for her? In, In the midst of nine months of waiting for it all to unfold. This is what Mary chooses to say to Elizabeth in Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. You know, there's so many things Mary could have focused on. People's disbeliefs, her parents' reaction, the gossip, the unraveling of all her plans. And Mary chose a posture of rejoicing. She chose to focus on God and and look, look forward to the work of God. In this song, she says, my soul, the deepest, most intimate part of me, my soul glorifies God. I rejoice in God, my Savior. He has been mindful of me. He has chosen me. He knows me. He remembers me. And I will be called blessed. She is not being called blessed right now. <laughs> but she, she's looking forward to the work of God. And she says, the mighty one is doing great things. So in this season of Advent, I think John the Baptist calls us to simplify and to repent. And Mary's story invites us to rejoice. To rejoice in all circumstances, whatever the circumstances are. Knowing that God is working in us and actively working out healing and restoration. So, How can we actively engage in waiting and preparing for Jesus? Our invitation is threefold today. To simplify, to repent, and to rejoice. To make space for God in our lives. To empty out our lives that God would fill it. And for some of us, that might mean something quite literal. To get rid of stuff like the stuff that distracts us, the stuff that takes up our time, the stuff that maybe is unhealthy for us. For others of us, making space might mean making space in our calendars, to set aside time and energy to be with God, to pray and to reflect and to rest, because this is what our soul, our deep, deepest part of us desires, is to be with God. And then to repent, to confess sin, and to turn towards God. To be willing to self-reflect and to go deeper with God, even if it's uncomfortable. And we do this leaning into his love for us and leaning into his forgiveness and his mercy and leaning into our God-given identity 
that we are loved children of God. And then we rejoice. We celebrate intentionally. We celebrate what God has done in the past. We celebrate that Jesus has come, that he brought love and salvation. We celebrate what God will do in the future when we will be completely his and all brokenness will be restored. And we celebrate what he's doing right now in us, where the spirit is present, bringing about healing and transformation. And so I want to move us into a time, as we conclude, a, a time of communion where we're really reflecting on the season of Advent. And communion is a time to remember the great love and hum- humility of Jesus as he died on the cross to make atonement for our sin, to offer us forgiveness and healing. You know, the, the, the perfect and the holy Jesus looks, looked at his creation and he looks at us with love. And he sees the brokenness in us. And he's overwhelmed by love for us. And he said, I will take the consequence of their sin on myself. I will take that and I will offer them life in abundance instead. And so he died on the cross, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And now Jesus is here. We don't see his physical form, but he's here. And he's holding out his hands in love to us. And he's inviting us to come to him. And he says, repent and come to me because I want to give you a life of abundance. I want to give you a life abundant in hope, abundant in love, abundant in joy, and in peace. So in a few moments, we're going to take communion. And I invite you to take the bread and the bread represents his body, and to dip it into the juice that represents his blood. And um, to take that just in remembrance of him, and that, of course, is totally up to you if you'd like to do that, but it's just this beautiful way that we remember Jesus' love for us. And before we do that, I'd like to read a prayer of repentance for us. Um, It's not a prayer that I've written. It's a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. And it's a prayer that um, countless people have said before God. And so I'd like to read that prayer for us today. If If you would stand. And you're welcome to just listen to this prayer. You're also welcome to say it out loud with me if you want to. Totally up to you. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name.
I invite you to join me, if you'd like, in a prayer of rejoicing. And again, you're welcome to listen or welcome to say it out loud with me. Father God, we rejoice in your unconditional and immeasurable love. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross and the forgiveness of our sins. Holy Spirit, we delight in your constant presence. We praise you, God, because you are compassionate and gracious. Thank you for calling us your children. In your name we pray, amen. As we leave here today, may we find joy walking in the abundant life of Jesus. Have a great week.